This is The Private Citizen, your weekly data privacy podcast, episode 17 for Wednesday, the 29th of April, 2020, surfing the second wave. My name is Fab and I'm coming to you live to tape, uncut and uncensored, from lockdown in Hamburg, Germany. How do you do? Nice to have you on board. Once again, settle in. This will be probably a long episode, judging by the shows. They're getting longer. I can't do anything about this. This is like any other podcast I've ever done. Any project, any podcast project. It's uh, I start off with good intentions uh, to keep short and then it get longer and longer and longer. But hey, you have a pause button. You know, it's not like... Not like you, you have to sit in front of the TV and this is like aired on a certain time at night. You can, you know, digest it at your own pace. Uh, also, uh, fair warning, this is a coronavirus episode. Might not be completely transparent from the title. Um, I say this because I have some feedback later. Um, there's some people who are skipping these, which is which is fair. Um, I might, might address that before we... Um, well, let's first... Uh, I have a look at what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to give an update on that protocol that uh, Apple and Google developed that I talked about uh, two episodes ago. There are some changes that I have to report. Um, I want to give a little bit of an overview of the current situation as far as it comes to contact tracing apps in several different countries. Um, and then I also uh, want to look a little bit about the uh, on you know on the lockdown situation on the ground here in Germany and all the madness that's going on. Um, and then there's a little side effect of the lockdown or a little or big one that I find intriguing and, and very, uh, I find actually, you know, it's, it's very important that we need to look at. That's how like, you know, what it does to small businesses and what it does to big businesses. I want to talk about that a little bit. And then, I have a segment about does the lockdown actually work because there's some some great data that uh, I've read about that I want to share because I don't think anybody else is sharing it. And then there we have some feedback from a local correspondents from literally all over the world. Got uh, South Australia, Tennessee. Um, oh God, where was Fadi again? Czech Republic, I think. And possibly somewhere else, uh, I don't know, that wasn't really specified, and I don't know. But, you know, from all over the world. Uh, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So a uh, strap in. Uh, as you can tell, it's lots of topics, so it'll be a long one. I'm sitting here late in the evening uh, on Wednesday. I'm hoping to get the show out before midnight. It's been a very long day, and I've got some Earl Grey. Um, that's basically gunfire, because I've spiced it up with a little bit of a rum. Because I need that. It's been I've been very busy. Lots of stuff to do. But um, one thing I want you to talk about. I've talked about this before. There are some people who are skipping these episodes um, because, you know, for for understandable reasons. We're all in this situation. It's a horrible situation we're all in. And some people want to focus on other stuff. They don't want to hear more about coronavirus. And I completely understand that. And I continue to be uh, committed to producing other content because I think there's other privacy topics that we need to talk about that are there that I've got on my to-do list that I will talk about. Um, but I also don't want to artificially talk about that when there's important stuff to talk about because 
while I understand that some people will, f will skip these episodes, you know, that's just okay. That's you can you can listen to whatever podcast you want. You can stop whenever you want. You can pause this. You know, you can it's I, I keep repeating this. It sounds dumb, but like people I think people are not aware of this. I take this from feedback that I've gotten over my uh, over a decade now of podcasting where people are um a decade and a half now <laughs> where people are uh, you know their podcasts too long and they don't seem to realize that they can pause and listen to something else or whatever or they don't need to listen to the whole thing uh, i've got chapter markers in here um if you if you're into that um and also don't have to listen to every episode i can completely understand if you don't want to listen to this now the thing is i think it needs to be reported i think it's very important it's the most important privacy thing that's you know, has happened at least since Snowden, but, you know, Snowden was reporting on something that has been going on. I think it's the most important privacy and, you know, civil liberties event in my lifetime. This is, has already eclipsed uh, September 11th, as far as I can understand. So, you know, this is really important. I think it needs to be out there. And it, also, I think it needs to be out there as a historical um kind of record i think these episodes if you don't listen to them now we might listen to them in a year or two these will be important like on the ground reports um i kind of was lucky to start the show in the middle of all this when all this started so we have a record of what's been going on and i also think that's very important um with that out of the way now you know i'm gonna do i'm gonna continue to do both kinds of shows um I kind of feel I have a topic that I kind of want to do. I kind of feel like I might put out another episode this week, but it's been so crazy. I just can't commit to that. Um, I've been just snowed under with work. There's all this stuff, you know, there's now all these um, uh, web events. Um, so I was supposed to um, host a conference uh, in Hanover in March. Of course, that didn't happen. It's like a security thing. Uh, I did that last year. Uh, for Heiser, uh, host the stage there, you know, introduce people, um, do a little bit small talk in between, and um, also an event with Bruce Schneier that didn't happen. But the thing is, now it's there's lots of lots of stuff moving into you know me you know webinars and online meetings from that, and I'm doing that, and I kind of like my thing is I'm really happy that I can do that, um, you know, getting paid and all that, but also um, I kind of want to. The situation is so unknowable right now, especially, you know, with the stuff that's been happening in journalism, you know, to all businesses. But, you know, it's kind of an unsecure situation we're moving into. So I kind of feel like I need to do all the work I can do now while I have work. And I'm basically working 24-7 right now. Like, you know, this is work. I've been working 24-7. I've really not been sleeping enough. So if I make mistakes, you're there, please, um, please understand that I've been... Um, quite sleep deprived for the last four or five days um but anyway so i would like to do another episode i can't commit to that i also don't know if i'm going to do that then on that topic if i'm going to do that on wednesday i, I don't know um, i'm going to just take it as it comes um I'm, I'm working hard enough um late at night here uh to get um this episode out on wednesday as i promised everybody you know episode every wednesday Unless I'm, you know, on the road or something. But, you know, generally I want to keep to that. So, you know, it's kind of, kind of can't commit to that. But let's not waffle any longer because that is not helping the matter and the length of the show. So um, let's just get into um, our first topic for today.
and that would be um, an update on Apple's and Google's contact tracing protocol because two shows ago, episode 15, um, last Wednesday, um, I did an in-depth episode. <laughs> you probably have listened to it um, on this protocol. And then on Friday, Apple and Google announced that they're going to change it. It's actually coming out like in two days or something now. But, um, or the first version is, I think they were saying like first of March or something like that. Uh, first of May, something like that. See, this is sleep deprivation going on. Um, so they changed their um, proposal around. And I thought I'm going to, um, gonna explain quickly what what's changed there if you're interested i wrote uh, so if you're interested in speak german i wrote up this the, the whole thing all the specs after that well i wrote it up before the change but i hadn't submitted the article then i rewrote it um and it came out on sunday on heiser so it's a link in the show notes private citizen press show notes all the links as usual and um it's all there in detail, but only if you read German. But I'm going to recap it on the show. You will get everything on here anyway. Um, so what changed? Um, the biggest change is maybe that um, Apple and Google moved away from... So they used to have a, uh, you know, a randomly generated ID, and basically a hash, a 256-bit hash, um, that, that would identify your phone. And then they derived all these... Um, ephemeral things ids that the bluetooth uh beams out continuously they derived that all from that um so they would have a key on the phone that was encrypted that never left the phone um that was never changing and then from that um they derived at all now i can't even uh uh can't even remember uh now i have to wait i have to look it up it's like, I was going to say, it's been so long since there was like the last, uh, the first version, but, uh, you know, it's only been a week, but so much, um, so much happened. Um, how did they, and wait, let me just look this up. God, these are long show notes I had for that episode. <laughs> um, yeah, so they had a, permanent id on the phone that never leaves the phone um and then I th from that they derived uh the the ids um i think daily right they they derived like a daily key and then from that they derived the ones that they change every 10 or 20 minutes depending on I think it depends on the device a little bit. So when your Bluetooth MAC address changed, they changed that. That's basically because they beam that ID out and the device, the, any device that gets that with that message also gets the MAC address of the, the phone, the Bluetooth MAC. And if they change the ephemeral ID, but the MAC address doesn't change, you can still like... You know, you still know it's the same device. And since um, Bluetooth Low Energy has that MAC address change for privacy reasons anyway, they kind of went like, you know, we'll just synchronize that. Uh, so that kind of makes sense. Yeah. So they had, a, they had a key on the device that never left the device. Then they like derived the daily key. And from that, they derived the ephemeral IDs they beamed out. And then when you identify to the phone as having been infected, they upload like these daily keys 
you know, for 14 of them for every, every day, um, you know, that you've, that you were infected, you know, that you were basically theoretically could have transmitted the disease to somebody. Now they changed this now. Um, and it's a bit confusing <laughs> because they changed all the names around and the terminology, but like basically the main thing they changed is you do not have a, um, a key that stays the same on the device. And that doesn't exist anymore. Because I guess some privacy experts and some cryptologists were saying, yeah, it's kind of like, they're like a checks against that, possibly. And then you could figure out like that key. And the main part is, I think, why do you have the, why do we have the key on the phone that doesn't change? That actually isn't necessary. So what they're doing now is they have a key that just changes every 24 hours on the phone. And it's, so it's randomly generated every 24 hours. It's called the temporary exposure key. And from that, they still, uh, they made it shorter, 128 bits, um, because like the Bluetooth, all the other keys they generated from the 256, when the old one were all 128 anyway. Anyway, so now the main key is also 128 bits. And from that, they still generate like these you know, uh, rolling proximity. Well, actually what they do is from that, um, they generate another key called the rolling proximity identifier key. And from that, they generate the, the identifier. So the, the things that change with the, uh, Mac address and they change every 15 to 20 minutes. Um, and now, so the main part is just that you don't have a key that's associated with the device. You just have these temporary exposure keys that are generated randomly. And what the servant does now, um, it actually just up. So um, the thing that gets re um, renamed to this diagnosis key, in this case, is just the temporary exposure keys. So instead of having a, a key that is always the same, never leaves the device um, and then generating keys from that and uploading those. Now it just ups uploads that key anyway, because that one changes on your device anyway. And they just upload those for like the 14, 14 days. Um, and, you know, that just makes it more. <sighs> yeah. It, 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 I guess it makes it more robust, right? Because I mean, you can't like beforehand, if that, that, that key that identifies your device leaked or got out somehow, got to the guys, got to somebody who keeps logging other metadata, um, they can generate all the other keys from that. And also if that leaks and you don't know about it, like you keep that key and you're exposed from then on. If that key, um, can be associated with you with your phone then because your phone doesn't change it like for the foreseeable future everybody can identify you with these keys um these temporary exposure keys that change all every 24 hours and get randomly generated as well um if you if those leak for like like okay so it it uploads it to the server for the 14 days that you could have been infectious um now if those leaked 
they can like if somebody has a lot of metadata and can somehow like pinpoint derive the rolling proximity identifiers and have lo has lots of U bluetooth recording and they said youtube dance sleep deprivation um has, has lots of bluetooth recording devices that could could theoretically kind of pinpoint you and but now if they get those uh keys for those 14 days they can only do that for the 14 days they can't do it before that if they don't have the keys before that and they can't do it into the future which i think is more um i think it adds kind of like you know like in a in a crypto messenger protocol like forward forward secrecy right if a, if a key leaks at that point uh you get access to the data possibly going back backwards in time but not forwards because you can't estimate you can't guess the newer keys that are generated um so i think that's actually uh quite a good design um the thing that's a bit weird is that they generate that rolling proximity identifier and then identify a key they still use hkdf which is like a, a key derivation password derivation function um so they but then the rolling proximity identifiers are generated from that and they also have some the other thing they changed is um so before they used to transmit these keys to the server and with that just like a unix timestamp right for when they were valid they still do that There's different kind of keys now but you know still that timestamp. but now they're also so every with every one of these rolling proximity ids that your phone beams out it also beams out some they don't go into detail here at least not yet at least not in the paper i've seen but they they say it sends out like bluetooth metadata um i guess it is that is to help um later with judging you know i've talked about how hard it is to kind of judge by by signal strength of bluetooth like where the phone is and where the next phone is so they encrypt some bluetooth metadata and send that out they have a so from the from your um from that uh temporary exposure key that they generate every 24 hours not only do they generate the key that they generate the proximity ids with they also generate another key different one which they um encrypt the metadata with or they generate another key which then encrypt the metadata with that gets beamed out so everybody gets this met metadata that just arrives with your normal with the ping right that your phone sends out but they can't access it because they do not have the key to decrypt it now what they now do is if you say you're positive at the point where the phone uploads those um temporary exposure keys or that the, as they're then called diagnosis keys to the server it also uploads the key that was used to encrypt this metadata with. So at this point, everybody who received these packages, because you know they will then download your temporary exposure key uh, to their phone, generate proximity IDs, and compare those because you know if you have that key, you can generate all of those with the timestamp together. They're generated, you know, with the key and the timestamp. So if you have the timestamp and the key, you can just generate them, and then they compare them with you know the packets they actually received that's like the check you know was your phone close and if it was 
then they also decrypt the um, metadata. And I guess that is so your phone just then some kind of algorithm that goes, okay, let's have a look at the met. So we know we received the packet. Like we locked some info about that packet, signal strength, you know, uh, whatever. Um, and we then also get some metadata. And that is kind of, I, I'm guessing this is used to um, kind of help with the decision, you know, where was that phone actually, you know, and what was the situation the phone was in or something, I don't know. It might actually have some back, you know, I send out a ping to your phone and your phone sends one back. So maybe the stuff that something of the info that comes back from you to my phone is encrypted in this metadata package for like the next packet or whatever, you know, so that I have like, so that when you decrypt it at the end and you can have actually have data from both sides, you know, signal strength uh, from both sides. And then you can say, okay, right. So my phone um, received your package pa packages with like this signal strength and my packages got to you know that phone at this signal strength and then this devs the parity or something you know you can probably um further deduce things about the current about the situation because as i said you know this whole thing probably doesn't work either very well because bluetooth is hard but um i like it looks like great changes in hindsight it looks like right why didn't they do that from the beginning although you know I didn't pick up on that when I read. I mean, this is why I'm not a cryptologist, right? Um, but, that, but this is interesting because you know I talked about I played a, quit, a bit from Steve Gibson where he was like really infatuated with this whole thing. They didn't talk about the problems on security, you know, Twitch show security now the, the podcast. And Steve Gibson, um, the host, was kind of like really happy about this protocol. I was really happy, you know, oh so elegant. But now when you see like the changes, it's like well it wasn't as elegant as it could have been, right? <laughs> if you looked at this closer and, you know, he's a podcaster like me, he's not a cryptologist. This is why we didn't write to Apple and went, uh, you know, you, why are you, why are you, why do you have a identifier that never changes? Like if you don't need, like this, this design now shows that you actually didn't need that in the first place. Um, yeah. So that's the update. I know that was a, bit confusing but it's a very confusing situation i hope um i hope that that helped i did want to address this specifically and this is actually the first impetus i had to do like another that's all the other stuff i'm going to talk about but that was like the first thing even if i had done a show on another topic i would have put that in in the beginning too you know because i kind of feel like i had to set the record straight not that it's any of my fault because they changed it two days after the podcast came out but yeah no you now you know the more you know isn't that wasn't that like a tv show or something anyway um contact tracing apps in different countries um so i want to talk a little bit about the situation um with these apps what, what, what's going on and the first thing i have to talk about when i talked about this last week i said that germany um it doesn't they were opposed to the solution Apple Google. And I think I predicted, I definitely predicted this in other places, but I think I also did this on the show. I said, I feel like they're going to, Germany's going to adopt this because you kind of have to, 
because you kind of have to play by Google's and Apple's rules if you want to use their Bluetooth and stuff like that. You know, they're just bigger leverage. Now, actually, the German government over the weekend came out and said, yes, we want to do uh, Apple's and Google's proposal now. So the difference was before they said we want to have the data. So in Apple's and Google's thing from the beginning, um, it uses a server to kind of distribute. So if, if, you're, you, if you decide, okay, I want to fess up to being infected, I had a test and I'm positive, and we'll tell everybody, then it needs to, like you don't, this is really something you can't really do. There, there's been interesting articles. People have asked, can't you do this peer-to-peer? And it's really not a s- solution you can, that's easy to do peer-to-peer. Because if you look at it, most peer-to-peer networks work in a way that, so you want some information from a wider network, um, but you kind of need to know what information you want. That's usually how peer-to-peer works. You advertise like, I want this torrent, right? And then you can get it. Here you don't know what you want um, because um, it, it would be really hard for like the, so the guy who says, okay, I'm not positive. I want to advertise that. You know, it's kind of hard for him to advertise that to the whole world. Like there is, that's really hard to do in a peer-to-peer network. You need kind of a central instance that, you know, advertise. It's like a, I guess it's a bit like BitTorrent as well, where it's like a, you know, it's like the website that tells you what torrents there are. Like, you know, when when you want to download Ubuntu over a torrent, you need to know what Ubuntu version you want and what the torrent is called. That the Ubuntu website calls you that. And so this is kind of the same thing. Once you say, okay, I want to tell people that I've been uh, positive, uh, you contact like this Apple and Google server um, and you upload your stuff there. And the server then is the p- place where all the other phones ping into like once a day or every, I don't know, 10 minutes. They're like, is there anybody from my area is there anybody from, you know, I've recently been in Hamburg and in like Niedersachsen, you know, Lower Saxony or whatever. Is there, is there anybody in the last 14 days, is there, you know, is there anybody new said they've been infected and do I need their data? And then the server says, yeah, this guy just checked in and then hands over the data and downloads it. So in this whole model, um, really only sent the stuff to a server or the other phones that they really need, like the bulk of the information is on your phone. And as long as you never say you're positive, it doesn't send anything that's specifically in this protocol. Well, it sends out stuff, you know, over Bluetooth, right? But it doesn't send out anything to the central server or anything. And the German government just wanted to, because we have this law, I explained this before, the Robert Koch Institute, all this red, you know, um, mandatory reporting and all this kind of shit. So they have all the data anyway. So they said, we kind of want central data and we want to do AI analysis because this guy from PepPT really sold them on AI, I guess. Um, Yeah, but they have now um, um, backtracked on that decision uh, the german government has said they now want to make use of apple's and google's proposal um which um kind of goes against i don't know what pepit is going to go now but i don't really care anymore i think they're out of the picture pretty much i mean it could be that they're saying okay we do decentralized now and then it's just like um pro forma it's under the PEPPT umbrella right but actually this is like the dp3t solution as um implemented by apple and google 
so Reuters was reporting uh, Chancellery Minister Helge Braun and Health Minister Jen Jens Spahn, who's an absolute idiot, uh, said in a joint statement today. He said we're gonna we're gonna talk about this later. It was like a passport for you know disease passport or whatever. Um, well, and uh, Helge Braun and Jens Spahn said in a joint statement that Berlin would adopt a quote decentralized approach to digital contact tracing thus abandoning a homegrown alternatives that would have given health authorities central control over tracing data. And, you know, they had recently just backed PT. So that's the situation in Germany. So they're going with Apple and Google. Meanwhile, the UK is going in the ex ex exactly opposite direction. God, I need to lubricate my... Um, my mouth here a little bit sorry for the smacking of lips um yeah so not surprisingly uk is pulling a brexit on this and it's just going what the eu is doing this let's do the opposite thing so they still want a centralized um uh solution at least that is what the nhs or the head of the nhs said in a memo um now interestingly um it looks like they well, for some reason, they got a deal that nobody else got because it now looks like that Apple um, is at least willing to let them um, use Bluetooth scanning in the background, which avoids like draining your battery and, you know, avoids you having to have the app open the whole time, which you don't do. Um, the whole The whole concept, I explained this at the beginning in episode 15, is... It sends out Bluetooth signals. Yeah, all the phones talk to each other all the time of Bluetooth. So wh whether they're in your pocket, whether you're doing anything else, uh, presumably while you're using your Bluetooth headphones. Um, so this thing where it has to be on, like they had in Singapore, uh, doesn't really work. And it's reported to not really work. Um, now the Australians, we're going to talk about that in a second, their app works like that because it's based on the Singapore solution. Uh, but it looks like uh, the NHS gets a special deal from Apple and then still can gobble up everybody's data. They're, of course, saying you don't have to install the app. It's all uh, just, you know, by your own volition. And, um, yeah, they kind of want to decide who's contacted and when. That is kind of their main thing. Whereas under Apple's... Um, proposal i guess you know that the software on the phone doing it now i kind of feel like this is hard to do and i do agree with some people on one thing if anybody can do that figure out the algorithm with school and apple like if anybody can figure that out it's them um i don't think the german uh uh bundesgesundheitsamt or the robert koch institute or the nhs for that matter has well enough programmers uh, I know some people have worked for the NHS in the past, and if they listen to this um, and they don't agree, uh, privatecitizen.press, contact details on there, feel free to contact me. Um, but I think they, I'm, I have a feeling they would agree. <laughs> I have a feeling they would also say that the NHS is probably not the, you know, not as good as Apple and Google when it comes to software development. Uh, yeah. So... Yeah, the German, uh, I think there's still a 
premise here, and I think this is this is not very clear from Apple and Google's documentation, but I kind of read between the lines that they want to do that, which is the German thing is, okay, so what, what we want to do, we want the, what the Robert Koch Institute wants, at least, is that you can't just self-report as infected. And I think this is something that Apple and Google are aware of as well. If anybody could just do that, people would completely shut down the system. They would just spam that they're infected and run around all day and contact, you know, getting close to other people and bring the whole system to freak out. Um, so what, uh, what the Robert Koch Institute wants is that, you know, they you get a test um, and you get like an official, you know, it's like a, I mean, a government, it's not a government lab, but you know, it's in the system. It's like a lab, you know, your doctor sends your, your swap off to a lab and, you know, they test you and then you get like a code or something, you know, like a, like a one time password kind of thing that you can uh, put into the app. And then if you want to, you don't have to, that's, that's, they always say that in Germany as well. And they have to do that. Otherwise, all hell would break loose. Um, <laughs> that definitely wouldn't fly with our laws. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of the thing. And I think Apple and Google are open to that. So I think they're going to implement that. Now, um, yeah, if you want to look, I, I have a, like, if you want to see a, about that NHS thing and how Apple got a special deal, it's kind of not completely clear. But, you know, I like, uh, in, in the interest of transparency, I always give everybody my sources for this show. So there's a link in the show notes, uh, show notes, private citizen or press, um, a tweet by the uh, awesomely named uh, James Titcom, who works for the Telegraph. And uh, that's such a Titcom. That's just a, such a bridge name. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's combing his tits all day. Sorry, I just said <laughs> um, where he, where you know, where, that's basically the source for that, and you can look into that. Now, Australia, uh, they have rolled out their app, but it seems to have some issues. Uh, it's called COVID Safe, um, and uh, it was uh, there, there's a report that came out by two independent security researchers, uh, Chris. Kulnane from the University of Melbourne and a cryptography researcher and master's student, Alna McMurtry, which is a great name. Sounds like they immigrated from Texas. Um, and a guy called Robert Merkel, also and the CEO, thinking security CEO Vanessa Teague. And they analyzed this Robert Merkel. I wonder if he's a relation to Angela. Um yeah, and they're, they're basically saying, well, this app kind of leaks some information. So they have unique IDs, uh, which is actually shared. And for some reason, they only changed like every two hours. And in some cases, it took eight hours and there's some information leakage. And it doesn't seem to be that solid. It doesn't seem to be horrible, but it's also not that solid. Um, so there's a reason, basically, they say why Apple's doing it every 15 minutes. To us is a long time. Um, they say, okay, the diff uh, quoting from this report, the difference between 15 minutes and two hours worth of tracking opportunities is substantial. Suppose, for example, that a person is, has a home tracking device such as a Google Home Mini or Amazon Alexa, or even a cheap Bluetooth-enabled IT device which records the person's unique ID at home before they leave. Then consider that if the person goes to a shopping mall or other public space, every device that cooperates with their home device can share that, the information about where they went. 
And that's something I just didn't see. This I said in the last episode, like this seems to be a solid protocol, but under other than you know, opposite to Steve Gibson, who went, "Oh, this is great! This can't can't possibly go wrong." Um, I was like, you know, this looks solid, but you, we don't know. Like we don't know how the metadata is going to be used. And this is like one obvious example that again didn't occur to me. You know, you have a Google device, and, and lots of people have Alexa's. They have Bluetooth, and we know Google snoops lots of Bluetooth. I mean, that's how like modern phones do location by Bluetooth beacons and shit like that. And you know, they can they can phone that home. You know, they can say the people, you know, I'm in this household. I know that, you know, Alexa knows that, knows where it is, uh, who bought it. And it's like, okay, there's like these three people with these COVID identifiers and I can say, I can get them. And then if they're valid for two hours and as, as they say, you know, if you go to a mall or somewhere and, you know, there's a device that cooperates with Google, which is not unheard of, you know, they have, I mean, maybe not so much in Australia and, and in Europe, but in the US, I mean, there's whole there's like whole street lights there's like a company that builds like these free street lights that have like bluetooth and wi-fi in there and they cooperate with google and you know they know where people go and um yeah that's just the things you don't think about which then later uh surface uh doesn't seem to be bothering anyone uh two million people download this app in 48 hours and blew away adoption expectations, which is a lot. How many? Uh, wait. Uh, I'm gonna look up how many people live in Australia. It's about twenty mil. Was it? I don't know. Uh, let me look. By the way, uh, I have a new. I have a new keyboard. Uh, from Leopold, which is great mechanical keyboard. It's cherry blue switches, but it's dampened, so it's a bit. Yeah, 24, well, 25 million in 20, 2018, 24.99 million. A bit more than was I when, when I was over there. Um, it's rising steadily from this graph on Google. But also then, it's a big country, they have space. Um, but yeah, uh, 20 million, uh, 2 million installed it in 48 hours. That is not bad. Um, some lawyers commented on this app. Um, you know, it uses some code from Singapore's Trace Together app and uses Amazon Web Services, which raised some eyebrows, um, uh, to store registration information, encrypted user IDs, and contact data. Uh, quoting here from a story on, where was this? The register. While source code of the app has not been released a privacy impact assessment drawn up by lawyers recommends it may be it be made available the department of health response concurs saying it quote will be released subject to consultation with the australian signals directorate's australian cybersecurity center so got to ask the local nsa for, what do they have to do with if you release this this is no time frame for that consultation is offered, nor is there a guarantee the cybersecurity center will agree to re release the source code. Uh, the app's use of AWS has quickly raised eyebrows given the cloud giant is subject to the United States Patriot Act and could be compelled to surrender COVID safe data the app COVID safe data despite it being stored on Australian soil. Another criticism leveled at the app is that it must be active in use to uh, active in use to perform useful fully on Apple devices. So Australia's national mobile phone fleet is dominated by the iPhone with over 50% market share. That is 
different than in Europe and the US. The app may not collect a lot of useful data. So that's the thing I mentioned about the Singapore app as well. But it's like, wow, they first have to ask like the 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 australian signals directorate is like what if they can release the source like jesus christ release the fucking source code if it's open source the source code should be out long before the app's released i mean the the only argument they could have the australian signals directorate could have against releasing the source code is if there was actual um like programming mistakes made right if they had like hard-coded code or uh, keys or whatever like and that would mean the app's unsecure like the only reason for not releasing this is that you know it's shit <laughs> um partial good news from israel uh, i had reported on how they uh you know are spying on everybody really badly they stopped some of the phone tracking now i'm just gonna read from this story um, which is from Engadget. Um, Israel's use of phone tracking technology to track COVID-19 patients has come to a partial end. A Parliament Oversight Committee has halted use of the tracking to has halted use of the tracking to enforce quarantines after raising privacy concern uh, after raising privacy concerns. Sorry, a Parliament Oversight Committee has halted use of the tracking to enforce to enforce quarantines after raising privacy concerns. That's a comma missing. Eh? That's why I can't read that sentence. The privacy violations outweigh the benefits, committee member Ayelet Shaket said. The phone monitoring tech doesn't help much when police already pays visits to COVID-19 patients to ensure they're following the rules. So it's like, I was reading the stories like, oh, good news. They stopped the phone trade. Oh, they only stopped some of it. Oh, they're actually just checking on you. Like, you know. <laughs> Stay indoors, slaves. Like they come around. <laughs> oh God. Police have so far argued that the tool is effective, having arrested 203 people with the help of phone location info. Law enforcement conducted about 500 random location checks per day. Random, the air quotes. No, that's my air quotes. Of course, they argued that it was in effect. Have you ever seen like police not argue for surveillance? <laughs> hmm, that's like a farmer arguing against cows or a, a, a beekeeper arguing against bees. The country is still using technology believed to involve phone tracking from the National Security Agency Shin Bet for contract ta tracing. Con contact tracing i can't say that word um it can both map previous movements of infected people and pinpoint others who might have come too close too close you've come too close that program appears to be relatively safe in part as it as its team deletes all info after a week <laughs> so I don't know as much about Shinbet as I know about Mossad. I mean, what you can know about Mossad, you know, but like, <laughs> yeah, sure. They delete that after a week. Yeah, sure. We do. Mm. Do they have any oversight of that? <laughs> Jeez. Wow. All I can say is like, you know, my, the problems I have in Germany are like first world problems compared to what's going on in Israel. <laughs> I wouldn't want to live there. Um, yeah, and that's it uh, so much. That, that's um, 
some news of, of tracking apps. If your country has a tracking app and you want to tell me about it, please do. Uh, PrivateCitizen.press is the website. Contact info on there. You can go also go to fab.industries/contact directly, and you know there's the whistleblower contact form. You can send me uh, anonymous stuff if you want. Um, now, if you think you're under surveillance by by Shinbet, you probably need more than that contact form. You might need Tor, and I don't know. I was going to say an air gap machine, but that would be kind of hard to send me email from but um yeah you know what i mean if that's the case godspeed and be careful now i want you to give a little update of the situation on the ground here in germany um, our restrictions have been loosened uh all federal states have however now mandated in slightly differently weird uh imp- implementations that you must wear a mask face covering you don't actually have to wear a mask uh, they they actually said you can wear a, a shawl or a shema or whatever you have like a tea towel <laughs> i don't know i actually uh, i refuse to wear like you know my mother actually sewed quite a lot of masks for like especially like um care homes and um she actually uh she's like in the um volunteer in the fire brigade now i think they sent her a letter because she sent like you know in in some german states the fire brigade also does like the um first responder you know the emergency trend you know the the transporting of um ambulances basically you know and uh so she made like um masks for them uh which is which is cool you know she may also made some for me but i kind of I feel like I fucking hate the virtue signaling. Like everybody with their avatar, with their Twitter avatar. Oh, I have a mask now on my Twitter avatar because I think everybody should wear masks. Like, fuck it. Like I wear, yeah, first thing, I wear glasses. Doesn't fucking work. Like either they fuck up or like you put them over the mask and then they just keep slipping down, um, which doesn't really help. Um, you know, I have to, if I go shopping now, I kind of have to. I just wear a bandana now, like really outlaw. Like, like I look like uh, a Red Dead Redemption character. You know, when they when they try to rob the tr- when they rob the train. You know, when you get your your bandana out, that's what I look like. And then also, I've, I I have like tons of bandanas because I ride a motorcycle. Um, there's these things called buff, which are basically these tube neck things that are really useful when you're on a motorcycle because it you know otherwise you get really cold on your neck all the time um and that like just like insulates that very well and but but you can also like pull them over your nose right so if you it gets really cold or windy or whatever and i just use those and i look like i'm gonna rob the store anyway they've implemented that otherwise it has been a more relaxed um i think hairdressers open again next week which um I need. Uh, I made an appointment, but still quite a while off. I look horrible. Uh, I did a. Uh, <laughs> if uh, if you go to uh, YouTube uh, and look for Fox Alpha Bravo, which is my YouTube channel, you can see my vlog, my re- recent, most latest uh, vlog. Where if you look at my hair, you know what I mean. Um, but they have. Uh, they they're gonna open again. But of course, there were. <laughs> 
illegal basement hair salons. And in Bavaria, maybe in some other federal state, but in Bavaria, they raided the illegal basement hair salons and everybody got fined like thousands of euros. You're like, I mean, the fines alone are crazy. Like uh, in... um, in, in Schleswig-Holstein here, you know, we have friends, like their neighbors, no, not their neighbors, but like a, a town over, they're like, they were having a barbecue and the police came and raided and they got like thousands of euros of fines. And like in Germany, um, if you, like, I don't think you can go fa- fast enough past like a speed trap to get like thousands of euros in fine i think it maxes i don't know i don't really know but like it maxes out like at 800 or something i mean you lose your license don't get me wrong but like the fine isn't that high like you can drive with your car actually on the pedestrian way and you get like it's like i think it used to be 20 euros i think they raised it to 80 now or something but it's like what but you you're somewhere and the the insidious thing with the masks is that yeah you go to an illegal hairdresser and it's thousands of euros um the thing with the masks is now this thing they at least here in hamburg the way they implemented this is um this is very insidious of course uh you don't get fined like the store gets fined the police you know, if there's people in the store that don't have a mask, like the store gets fined hundreds of thousands of dollars or whatever, uh, euros or whatever. It's not like they don't have problems enough already because nobody has business anyway. Uh, but it's like now it's like the store people being like their own Gestapo and, you know, they have to basically, they kick you out if you don't wear a mask because they don't want to get fined, which I can understand. But it's like, it's like, it's like this whole, it's like fucking socialist germany you know east germany is like they're turning everybody against everybody else everybody's knocking on everybody oh my god oh my god it's horrible it's like what it does to the people i mean everybody's on edge anyway because they're at home all the time and the kids and it's just it's horrible um in saxony i've talked about how the police um in several federal states were asking for the addresses basically the data of infected people and got it from like the health authorities like the local ones and uh and that's like all these we have these data protection officers right on federal state level and they were like oh what this is clearly illegal you can't do this what's the police and what's their business and then the police was like oh yeah we need uh, need to protect ourselves and then from what like, if you go there, wear a fucking mask. If you think you need to wear a mask, how else would you protect yourself? You might as well just wear a mask all the time. You know, if you, I mean, I, I realize I just bitched about masks, but, you know, this is, it's like testing. It's like pe- people are so preoccupied with testing, especially in the US, and they don't realize it doesn't do anything. First of all, it's a horrible procedure. You know, there, there, there are videos now on the internet where you can see how far they poke the thing in. You don't want that have to that have to happen, um, and then it doesn't help you at all. It doesn't not help you. Like if you know your COVID, this this um, disease is so weird because lots of people just uh, get a fever. They have no symptoms. They they get a fever. I know my um, uh, my brother in law 
uh, he got, he had it. He's just over it. Like he's just out of quarantine of self post quarantine. His wife uh, works in a uh, children's hospital and she got it, of course, there um, because children are often asymptomatic, it seems. So they infect a whole lot of people, but they don't have symptoms. And then, you know, she got it, um, got home. The one-year-old kid got it, uh, had a fever for a day, which is basically, you know, common cold when kids get a common cold at that age they often just get a fever for a day and it's over like it's like i think that i don't have kids but i think the wisdom is like okay if it's a kid has fever for like two days then you go to the doctor but one day it's just like yeah it's just the you know the immune system when it's that young just deals with that like that um and he, i think he doesn't he didn't have any symptoms or any bad symptoms and you know so and they had a test done right <laughs> like uh the, the kid they, they subjected the kid to a test and i was like why it doesn't change anything like what does it do like she has it you're living with her on close in closest quarters like what it just assume you have it and quarantine yourself for two weeks done don't have to have a thing poked into your brain almost and it's like, it doesn't help you. It doesn't help you. It doesn't change anything. Because you don't, if you get a test and you're positive, like, it's not like you can say, okay, I want to go to the ICU now, right? It's like, you will realize when you have breathing problems and they have time enough to put you on a respirator where you'll probably die or whatever. But like, it's, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't help you. And also, like, I don't understand the whole, oh, in the US, we must have te tests. Trump doesn't have enough tests. We need more tests. Like, what for? They're like, we need tests to go to work. Yeah, you get a test. They're like, okay, uh, you didn't have it. You're like, you're healthy. You don't have any antibodies. So you're, you, didn't, you didn't get it and you're healthy. You can go to work now, right? You go to work, somebody infects you, then you have it. But you have a test that says you're negative, right? But you can infect yourself the next day. Like the only reason is if you had it and you like antibody test that kind of kind of a little bit makes sense because um so you had it and then you get get a test that proves that you had it and then you can go to work because then you're immune right problem is well it works with my you know my brother-in-law because if you do that when you actually have symptoms and they do the actual the PCR tests where they basically you know <laughs> Um, they take the swab and then they basically uh, find virus RNA. And then they're like, yeah, you have it. That is very, very, very reliable. Um, but antibody tests aren't. Uh, they're just reliable in a way where... Um, so there's there's like lots of times when you're actually infective, uh, when you're infecting people and you actually have it, where, where you don't have antibodies. It might be before you have antibodies, you know, before your body is reacting. Um, and so antibody tests are... When they tell you you are positive, that's almost assured. That is, you can you can rely on that pretty much. That has like a rate of I think ninety eight percent or something. That current test that they have. Um, but the problem with it is, if the test tells you you're negative, that doesn't mean you are negative. It just means the test couldn't find it, and there are tons of reasons why that could be. Um, so you can't use it to say this guy is safe, and this guy can travel. So. What are the tests for? Well, we get into that later a little bit. But anyway, so they got all the reports, police in Saxony. And it's clear, this is clearly illegal. Like everybody who knows anything about privacy in Germany is like, this, this, this is no, the police has no 
reason to have this data. It's clearly against all the laws. It's against all the rules we have. It's against everything. And they're still doing it. This is, then nobody cares. Why do we have data protection of officers when they when the police does something and then the the guy who's responsible in the state says no you can't do that and they keep doing it and the thing is they clearly know because if you read in the story okay I put a jump link but let me just TLDR it it's like the way they reacted to other parliamentarians from like the opposition asking about this and the journalists and the way they waffled around and didn't tell anybody for a while and shit like that that is a surefire way that like clear state to me that they know they knew when they were doing this that that was illegal they knew it was wrong and they still did it these people should all get fired why 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 i mean jens spahn right our health minister that i talked about my biggest issue with him is that in february he was still going on about we need to cut hospital costs and close hospitals like how's that guy still in office like if you believe which i don't but if you believe this is the worst health crisis in history then that guy should not be in office that guy should never shouldn't be in office anyway just if you if you look him up you just know he's just like anyway um but the Mendes story comes from North Carolina's failure, the federal state where I was born. Um, which, yeah. Uh, so there is a... Um, this is in um, Grevenbroich, which is close to Düsseldorf, which is actually where I'm moving pretty soon. <laughs> and they... Um, there's like a housing. It's like housing buildings. They look a bit like... Um, I mean, it's not quite as bad, but they look a bit like peach trees, that ecology from uh, the amazing film Dread with Carl Urban. If you haven't seen that movie, watch it after this podcast. Next thing you do, it's on Netflix, I think. Watch Dread. It's amazing. Um, anyway, it looks a bit like that. It's very, it's, there's obviously people living there that don't have that much money. It's not a nice, really nice place to live. And there's about 400 people living in like this housing unit. I think you would call it a project probably in the US you are like it's a bit like council housing would be in the UK it's not actually council like it's not the same kind of thing but it's like as depressing I would say uh, is basically what it what it amounts to um, and that place so there were 400 people and there were two families who had um who got tested, who were positive, who were ordered to stay in quarantine, who didn't. So so what they did is they looked, like somebody knocked on them, I guess, you know, oh, the neighbors, the neighbors are going out, they have to, oh no, call the police. You know, they knocked on them and they locked the whole place down. They locked the whole thing down, put like stuff around so people could go out and then tested everybody. They locked them in and force tested them. And you read like this, this report which is from our, you know, our state. We have public broadcasting, which I pay for because you have to pay for it because you don't have a choice, literally. And they're like, oh, they're full of glee. Like, haha, they tested these families, basically. Basically, the under and you're like, fucking hell. If I lived there and some other fucking idiot didn't obey, like, the quarantine rules and then... um somebody knocked on them right and then the police turns up and it's like oh we're gonna stick this long thing right in your nose i would say 
I have something you I, you can stick into your nose. You can leave my property right now, right? And that would be, f I mean, there are situations where I'm like, I seriously considering to move to Texas where I can buy a gun and like defend myself when the police comes and wants to stick this thing up my nose, which is totally idiotic because you know what I would t say to them? I would say, look, I don't want that test. It's a horrible test. Just assume I'm infected, right? Just do whatever quarantine measures you're going to do. If I treat positive, think the positive people get taken away to some other place and then quarantine. And the other place was probably nicer if I look at that housing project. Uh, it's, it's like, it's like, it's like dread now. This is like fucking 2000 AD. It's like, what the fuck is going on? You will be tested. I am the law. This is the Justice Department. We have detected an outbreak of COVID-19. Stay in your rooms. It's like, what the fuck? And everybody's going crazy. I put a link uh, just, just to, um, if you want to laugh, I put a link to a Facebook page. It's a German page, but it's basically a gallery, so you can just go there. And this is not from from within Germany. I think most of these pictures were taken in American supermarkets. These, judging by it, but it's like all the stuff people do, like uh, you know, because they have to wear masks now. One guy has built himself like a a pest doctor, uh, like a plague doctor um, beak out of paper mache, I think. There's a guy who's like in a in a rain coat with like a gas mask. There's a guy who's who's uh, taking an umbrella and basically taped stuff to it so it goes to the ground and he's like moving in this huge umbrella thing. <laughs> it's so crazy. Everybody's going really crazy. Anyways, I've been talking for an hour, so um, let's move on here. Um, another top topic I wanted to quickly mention is just what this um, what this whole uh, situation is doing to businesses. Um, this is having a huge effect on the economy, and I think especially like small businesses are suffering. And I feel like you know the big guys they get bailed out, bailed out. They got bailed out in two thousand eight. They'll they'll you know the big companies, the airlines, the big uh, shopping chains. And lots of them, like the other thing with that is like, okay, airlines haven't, don't have open, but like lots of it is like the big, uh, in some jurisdictions, like the big stores, they're open because it's like, you can only have that many people in a store. And if you have a big store, you can be open and the small stores are just too small. There's too much danger of infection. And so they're just, you know, that this, like, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Uh, where I go like, okay, there, somebody planned this, which I mean, this whole thing was so disjointed. How everybody, I mean, the 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 one thing that would make you think that is that like all countries agreed on the exact same measures, um, which never happens. I can tell you from history, never happens. But it happened this time. It's like only Sweden's the only out outlier. But I know how that works. I study history. I know how geopolitics works. I, I've analyzed this thing and it, it's not the Illuminati planning it. It's just like social forces and politics. And there, there are certain, you know, there, there, there are certain 
effects at play where if you if you're a politician um it's safer for you you have you have more reasons to do the lockdown than not first of all you get more control of your citizens you you know you have less opposition because the parliament's not in session all of this kind of stuff and then also there's a, there's this very human thing where like um rather you take restrictive measures uh then not and then in the end being blamed right and your legacy as a politician being destroyed because you didn't take too much it's like what they're trying what the democrats are trying trying to do with trump right now which isn't working but uh you know that you it was your fault you didn't react uh strongly enough and as a politician i mean you're not really affected by all of this anyway i mean you're you're relatively rich you have nice places to live in it's not like you know and you can you can always go out if you want to go out because you're a politician um so i don't you know i don't believe in conspiracy theories i mean the the i mean it's so clear that if this was like all orchestrated to get everybody controlled with vaccines which is a dumb idea is dumb theory anyway but let's let's buy that for a moment like they would have a vaccine right now right i'm not a friend of bill gates and i think what bill gates is doing right now is appalling and i fucking you know bill gates is a horrible horrible man he's not a genius He's not a genius businessman. He is a cutthroat businessman. You know, he stole and lied and cheated everything, all of his money. And he's now, uh, you know, oh, I'm saving humanity. Yeah, with the money you you got by basically devising a uh, a monopoly in an industry and like keeping everybody down and, you know, basically destroying the operating, PC operating market basically destroying the concept of a free market for a decade or two right that's how you got your money and now you're like oh i'm the best guy. so i i'm not a friend of bill gates but you know to be honest if this was orchestrated by him to get everybody vaccinated he would have a vaccine right you don't kick something off like this and then don't have a vaccine so that's all idiotic so i don't think um i don't believe in conspiracy theories but it's kind of like you know, even if it wasn't wasn't orchestrated, it's having the effect that it's destroying all these small businesses that like all the rich people and the people in power don't want anyway, right? This is not going to destroy the big companies and a big um, a winner right now, especially in the US, is Amazon. Um, I mean, I've so I've I've linked something here that is a story on the Verge, which is based on an episode of the Verge cast, which I had listened to in full because I thought, well. I kind of agree with their premise here. Maybe I can get some clips from that show that I can play on here. But I couldn't because that podcast is horrible. Because Nilay Patel is horrible. And I mean, even though the woman they had on to talk about this uh, says a lot of intelligence things in that whole podcast, there's nothing... There was no segment like shorter than four minutes that you could clip that would make sense. And... It was so permeated by, oh, Trump is evil, orange man bad, like Nilay Patel, every five minutes, like, oh, yeah, I'm his, but Trump, you know, but Trump. I mean, Jeff Bezos is horrible, but wouldn't you rather have Jeff Bezos as the president? Just look at Trump. And it's like, ah, oh, fuck's sake. Um, so I couldn't do that. But, you know, the story um, maybe makes a, makes, makes a point. Anyway, it's kind of like... Amazon is, they actually say in the beginning of that podcast, I almost clipped that, but it's like, they basically say, Nilay Patel's theory is like, that or 
I don't think even a theory. They just stated as a fact that Amazon is like essential business now. You know, all Americans buy everything on Amazon, which I'm not buying. I think that's his bubble because he's in fucking Silicon Valley <laughs> or wherever in Austin or wherever he is. Or maybe New York, you know, that's the places where you think that. I think if you live in Montana, you you don't think that. Um, <laughs> um, actually, I learned recently that Amazon's actually delivering in rural U.S. They're delivering with the U.S. Postal Service, and apparently, there's this argument that U.S. Postal Service is like almost bankrupt or is bankrupt. But they're like uh, they're like bankrupting Amazon's bankrupting the Postal Service because they keep sending all their packages and the the uh, prices for that are just so low that the postal service loses money <laughs> like really weird but you know amazon is definitely is a pressure on the market and it's like and all these like everybody's going yeah uh, corona you can't go to the store just it's too dangerous order everything on the internet order all your food on the internet and this is one of the uh side effects if you were uh a conspiracy theorist you would say an intended side effect of this whole thing another thing is like the war on cash which i'm going to talk about uh in a special and that's on the to-do list um something i want to talk about for a long time and you know as as a lot of things this whole um rona situation is just the rona is just um accelerate as it's like accelerating the whole uh war on cash thing you know because and that's a definite privacy topic because tracking but anyway, I found that interesting. I think this is something we need to keep an eye on. It's not specifically privacy, although it kind of is, because if you buy all your stuff on Amazon, then Amazon Amazon knows everything about you. And I say that as somebody who, I wouldn't say I love Amazon. Back in the day, I really, you know, back in the day, I the books there because, I, you know, I loved them back very early on. I sincerely would say I loved them. I think I said so on the next Outlaws because... Um, they were the only place in Germany where you could buy English books. I mean, you could buy them in any bookstore, but they were like, oh, so uh, that con Tom Clancy book, I would like to read that in English. And they were like, yeah, we can order that. And I'm like, how long is that going to take? Like two weeks. Uh, and then, like, okay, no, thanks. I'm just going to go home, buy that on Amazon. And then it'll be there in two days. And they actually got quicker. At some point, they were actually down to like three days or something for ordering something like But you're like, Okay, I can I can go to town, order it there, and then pick it up three days later. Okay, I just can just order it from Amazon, get it shipped, right? Um, so I really like them. I still I order lots of things at on Amazon, but you know, still we have to be aware of what's going on, and that's that's one of the um, one of the things. There's actually a senator now um, who's asking the Department of Justice. I mean, there's lots of antitrust probes against Amazon, but he's like asking for a criminal one. Which I found interesting. Um, yeah, and that's basically because they're strong, strong arming uh, competitors all over the place. I think it's also about AWS, but also you know definitely um, <laughs> it's a great quote from from this uh, senator. God, who is he? Let me see. Um, what's his face? Josh 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 Hawley. Who is a Republican from MO? MO, that Minnesota? Uh, Missouri. Oh, that makes sense. That's why he's a Republican. Yeah, of course. He's from the South. Um, but a great quote here Amazon's capacity for data collection is like a brick and mortar retailer attaching a camera to every customer's forehead. <laughs> uh, 
isn't completely wrong on that one. Um, but I think this is something we have to keep an eye on. And then I had a last topic, which is, this is not directly privacy related, but I think I want to talk about it because this is about the coronavirus. And that is what is all this has precipitated all of this, all of this lockdown, all of uh, curtailing of rights that we have, you know, the apps, all the privacy issues. That's all down to one thing. Uh, thus, COVID-2, the virus. Although, I would say it's probably not down to the virus. It's down to our reaction to the virus. And I read a, a fascinating story on... Um, Telepolis. Telepolis is a used to be an independent blog that got bought by Heise uh, quite some time ago. I love them. They're completely independent from Heise. Heise just bought them, but they still have their own um, editorial team, and they work from home. They're never in the Heise offices. I never, you know, I worked for Heise for what seven years in Hanover. I've never once met anybody from Telepolis, um, and they're like fiercely independent. They often publish things that other people wouldn't publish, and I love them for that. Uh, little inside baseball, a lot of people inside the Heiser editorial team really detest them, <laughs> which which further endeared them to me. And then it's not like that. I don't like my colleagues, but like I'm a bit of a troublemaker, right? I like people who are like, we're going against the mainstream in our own company. Kind of like the pirate outfit. I, I always like them. Anyway, they have a, a, a story from somebody who's never written on there before. He is a psychologist from uh, Regensburg University. And he has, at the end of the thing, he says, basically, look, why am I publishing this? I'm not a virologist, not an epidemiologist, but I'm a scientist and I'm a psychologist. Um, so there are two things I know. I know statistics. We know statistics. It's like half our our university studies is statistics. And he didn't say that, but I think that's kind of how it is. Uh, and um, what he did say is like, I, as a psychologist, I know what the situation like this does to people. And I know this is, like not even looking at the economy, this has serious repercussions, like suicides and all this, like death. This situation we're having now um, will cause a significant number of deaths, not as high as are dying from COVID, but a high number of deaths uh, now and later by people whose livelihoods been destroyed, uh, whose families, you know, all of this. And he basically says, so if the lockdown measures don't work i feel like i have to talk about this because this has serious implications and what he did is he just looked at so this is only in germany he looked at the um official numbers from the robert koch institute and i've explained this very early on in this podcast just a quick recap they have two kinds of numbers um this uh das cov2 uh in, in Germany is now a disease, it's classified as a reportable disease, Meldungspflichtige Krankheit, which means if you get it and you get diagnosed with it, which in this case is a lab test, then um, the lab has to immediately inform the Robert Koch Institute in Berlin and give them information about you, who you are, date of birth, where you live, uh, all your family relations, who you've they they have this whole thing they're asking you know, who you met you know who do you think you met when, why all of this you know to do contract contact tracing um all this information 
and they have all the death cases because if you die of a, a meldungspflichtige Krankheit, um, then that gets reported as well. So that he has those numbers, and he just looked at their numbers. Um, you know, not saying I'm an epidemiologist or whatever. He said it's just like I just looked at statistics, um, and he has two main points. And the first one is, if you look at, and I put a, uh, a graphic of this, which comes straight from the Robert Koch Institute in the show notes, privatecitizen.press. Um, this is the so-called R number. It's not R0 or R0, it's R. It's the effective reproduction number. And um, you see on the graph here, um, on, you know, you see a... Uh, an R number between one and four. Uh, and that is basically, um, so So I'm just going to try to explain this graph. So you have on the y-axis, you have one, two, three, four. And then on the x-axis, you have all the dates. And the um, this R number, if it's one, it means um, one case that you have in the population infects one other case. And so that follows that if you have R2, one case infects two cases, it doubles. Right? If you have R3, one case infects three, four, you have one case infect four. And, you know, it gets critical, everything above two. It just gets exponential from there on. And you see this graph... Uh, you know, it starts in the beginning of um, March and goes basically to the beginning of April. But you see cases rising till about the 10th, 11th of March, where we get up to over R3. It's like R3 and a half, basically. And then the cases keep dropping. And they reach R1. Um, on the that's the 21st of March and from there on the number consistently stays under one and that's where we want to be so that that means we flatten the curve right and it goes over our one sometimes but it stayed there since 21st I think that is that's the 21st of March and until today I mean that I think yesterday it went over a bit over like in all this time there have been single days where it's gone a bit over one and then the press immediately goes ah we're gonna die the second wave is coming but i called this episode surfing the second wave the second wave run for your lives uh there's no second wave uh, it's been consistently basically at one now the thing is there's a line in this graph um a uh a vertical line and um in the middle of the graph, and that is when the curfew measure measures went into effect. Now, if you look at that, we reached R1 two days before the measures went into effect. That alone, in that graph, would tell you that the curfew isn't working for two reasons. First of all, we reached R1 without any of the curfew measures. And secondly, from there on, it hasn't changed. 
So it stayed at one or a little bit under one or a little bit over one. So the curfew measures haven't had any influence on this number at all. Now, one point that I would like, so if you look at epidemiological data of diseases, different diseases and their spread, um, you all, you see this graph all the time. And I know this because I've looked at a lot of that in the last weeks. Um, and it's always the same. It always looks like this. And the funny thing is it, that's my personal opinion. I think it always looks like this, no matter if you do physical distancing or whatever you, I don't call it social distancing because that's, it's physical distancing. <laughs> Though, <laughs> um, it always looks like that. And no matter what me measures they implemented, sometimes you see measures have, have some effect, but generally it looks like that. You know, different diseases are different. They spread differently, but it always looks like it's always the same graph. It goes up, goes up, and then it goes down again. And I think it's just, um, that's just how diseases spread. Because, you know, a disease spread, it spreads exponentially, like a disease like this, right? It spreads exponentially. Lots of people get sick, and then everybody realizes, even like 100 years ago, 200 years ago, or like without the press and all that, everybody was like, shit, everybody's getting sick, and everybody stays home, right? They they, they physical distance automatically because everybody's sick. It's like, oh, shit, everybody has the plague. I'm not going to touch anybody, right? Um, and I think that's what happened here. I think the curfew didn't help. Now, he goes... he. It's a very long article, and basically it says it gets even worse, because if you look at where they're not, where those numbers come from, these are cases. So in that graph, this is cases, reported cases. If you look at what those where those numbers come from, um, so people are infectious for some time with this disease, then they get symptoms, still infectious, they get symptoms. And then, normally with this disease, two days after they got the first symptoms, it gets, either you don't, re let's say you realize it's bad. You go to the doctor, and then you get a test, and then it takes a day or two for the test to come back, and then that gets reported to the Robert Koch Institute. So generally speaking, it's like three to four days until the data reaches the Robert Koch Institute, at which time... Um, you, I mean, you've been, you were infectious, whatever. But the the point is, so you have to move this graph three to four days to the left, because this data is is reported with a time delay. And the funny thing is, well, it's not funny. It's definitely not funny. But the other data he analyzed was the um not only the case data, he didn't only look at the reproduction, effective uh, reproduction number. He actually looked at the actual cases as well, like the total number of cases. And he looked at deaths. And with deaths, you see the same, you see basically the same curve. And you also see that it goes down before the um, curfew went, went into effect. Or pretty much with the deaths, you can see they go down pretty much when the curfew goes into effect. And then you could think, okay, the curfew worked. But then you have to analyze, and that's another, that's another thing he says, how the death data gets reported. Because that data is even more delayed. Because um, just the way the process works. Okay, so you're in a hospital. You, can, you, you know, you have COVID. You're in the ICU. Um, you die. 
right? They tested you before. Let's say they tested you before, because we don't really test death dead people here, not like in Italy. Um, so you got reported as a COVID case. It gets worse. You go to the hospital. You go into the ICU. You die. You, you you're there for a while. You die. Um, you get put in the morgue. Then a coroner has to look at your body you know they have the death report from the doctor and they have to make sure with every death uh in a hospital um they have to make sure that that report checks out um which is you know have to make sure that that you didn't for operations you died during the operation they have to check you and then after that when the coroner signs off on that death certificate you're you're dead that's the in the bureaucracy that's when you're dead and that's when it gets reported so it normally takes about a week from somebody to die to that getting reported. Now, like in the middle of this crisis, you'd think it took longer because there were more people dying. We know this. There were more people dying in hospitals than normal. Um, so that data is like that graph. You have to shift to the left for like a week or even more. He says it's probably between seven and 14 days or seven and 10 days. And that completely shows you that these measures haven't worked. And he has another point, which I find very interesting. The other thing he reads from the data, he has, um, he talks about how um, statistically, just statistically speaking, if you test more, you find more. And he has this, um, this example, which I'm going to try to uh, retell. Um, so let's say you have a garden and you have you have hidden 10 easter eggs and each day uh your children are allowed to go for 10 minutes into the garden and look for easter eggs and so and let's say you so what you do is every day you hide 10 easter eggs right there's always 10 10 eggs hidden in the garden the first day you uh, give them 10 minutes to search and they find one egg. Right? You, you hide 10 eggs again. You give them 20 minutes to search. They find two eggs, statistically speaking. Next day, you give them 30 minutes to search. They find three eggs. Now, if you look at that data, you would think that the number of eggs hidden in that garden you could interpret it in a way where you say the number of eggs hidden in that garden has increased f from one egg to three. But it hasn't actually. The, the only thing you've done, the number of eggs were the same, just because you had more time to look, you, that's his metaphor for having more tests, right? That's just more places you can, you, you can look. Um, just because... You, you you basically increase the number of 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 tests you have of of actual incidents of looking under you know under that bush and under that stone and here and there um you've increased that the the same number of eggs were hidden you just found more and that's the thing like statistically if you have a uh i mean i'm just repeating what he says i i I'm I'm fully prepared to admit I'm not that good with math. Um, I've learned the basic statistics in politics and history. It's been a long time, but I mostly learned how to like 
read graphs correctly and what common mistakes people make. Um, but you know, I read, I read that, and that I've read that very carefully and and thought about it a long time, and it makes complete sense. Um, so if you test more, you find more. And he has data um, that is the, all the data he has is official data from the Robert Koch Institute, and there is data on how many tests uh, were administered in Germany. And you look at it, and it's like. It basically at the time when the when the supposed infection rate re- rises exponentially, we basically has have an exponential uh, increase of testing in Germany. And then he does some other statistic things that I don't fully understand, but I think they check out um, where he basically goes. Um, so let's try to. There's like a statistic method to um, mitigate this i do more testing uh, i find more to mitigate that right you kind of uh uh do an average i guess of the of the numbers and if you do that for the amount he thinks from the rki data is kind of hard to tell because the the data on cases is absolute right every uh, every every test that is administered get like the report uh gets that gets reported but but what we only have there is like the positive test right there's the data on how much tests were actually done uh is a like the rki's data is a, is is a lot worse but they they've done some you know some some they have statistical from like so they have um pinpoint data they have certain uh labs and certain doctor's offices that report all their numbers and then they do a statistical analysis uh, and, and from that they estimate how much tests there were in Germany. But this is like the official RKI numbers. If you go by them, it kind of it kind of checks out. It looks like the cases didn't rise um, exponentially. They rose, like they would normally rise, um, you know, with a disease like that. But there wasn't the exponential growth and more importantly, there is no second wave. And he says there's no second wave coming. Um, I don't know. It it does make sense to me. And it does check out with with other things I've heard. You know, I've, I have a lot of sources in hospitals. Uh, in, in, in Hamburg, I'm very good, well connected with I have sources in all the big hospitals here. And they have... Cons- consistently I, I i have from the biggest hospitals in hamburg i actually have the internal numbers how many cases they have how many people have died and how many have been on the icu and what their percentage of icu load is and the consistently icu load it's around 60 percent um, i mean they have problems um one of them is if people go to the icu with this they're there for a long time i think the average is uh 17 days which is massive. That's just, you don't, you normally on with the respiratory disease, you're not on, in the ICU that long. Um, so there, there are, of course, there are concerns, but like they were dealing with this. They were, they, they prepared, they stopped all elective procedures, which means in general, the hospital, I mean, the ICUs are relatively full, 60% or something like that. Um, but like the rest of the hospital is, is, uh, is much emptier than, than usual. Um, because all elective procedures have been stopped. Um, the uh, emergency rooms are 
deserted because nobody's going to the emergency room with a sprained ankle anymore um, because they don't want to get infected. Um, so as I've consistently, I've heard from those doctors that the worry is, we're, you know, the wave is coming. At first it was like, the wave is coming. We need to prepare for that. And then the wave didn't come. And now they're like, okay, the second wave might come. But if this guy's right and it's just the testing, then probably the um, the wave isn't coming. I mean, he, he says in this that, of course, this is like German data. It applies to the German health system. Um, this is obviously not what happened in Italy uh, and what happened in New York. And, you know, I he says he can't comment on that. I can't comment on that either. I don't know whether health, how the healthcare system worked. Uh, works i don't know uh, what other problems they have i don't know if there's maybe it was just a very uncommon um hotspot of like um you know people getting infected i know uh, new york is just a massive metropolitan area so that might have something to do with it um i know in italy the fact it was definitely that part of italy their um their healthcare system's not really good they don't like parts of where it broke out at first just didn't have enough ICU beds because it's not a place where you normally have IC, many ICU beds because, you know, not a big metropolitan area and stuff like that. I don't know. Uh, with all of that, I have to say definitely a disclaimer, of course. Um, there are people dying from this. It's a horrible disease. Um, it has many factors that we hadn't seen. Um, it's definitely not like influenza. I mean, it does weird things to um there's reports of people you get inflammation of the blood vessels there's reports of weird strokes that young people are having there's reports of severe lung damage uh there's reports of it messing with your hemoglobin um i believe all of that um but you know it's a it's a it's a tragedy when when you get it when any you know when you really get covid and you have to go to the hospital when any of your loved ones gets that when if they die, you know, I completely agree with that. But, you know, looking at the society, the overall society impact of it and what we're doing because of that, it just uh, makes me, makes me queasy. And the other, the other disclaimer, I've, I've never said that these measures should not have been taken. I don't know. I don't think I can decide that. Um, I can, as I said before, I can completely understand why politicians did it because in a, at a certain point you're, Better safe than sorry. Um, I am just all for analyzing the data. I think we need to analyze this data. And like his stuff is not reported. It was on Telepolis. It wasn't in the main, it wasn't on the evening news in Germany as it should be. Um, if this data is correct and this is like, you know, this needs to be checked by other statisticians. And if this is right and the official RKI data is right, then they need to be called out for this. Then we need to see that the maybe the growth wasn't exponential and you know maybe maybe the lockdown didn't work maybe um so i there's this theory even drosten like the virologist pop star that's everywhere now with this podcast even he uh said on his podcast um when he was confronted with criticism because of this very graph that i have in the show notes um he said, yeah, I'm kind of waffling. I think it maybe it worked because people were complying anyway. And I'm like, yeah, it may, yeah, that's what I said from the beginning. Maybe we don't need a lockdown with draconian rules because the Germans are very obedient people. We listen to our government. That's what we do. That is just German, right? If you think Oktoberfest is German and cars are German, that's not German. German is uh, 
Say when they say you march, you march, and when they say you stay at the fuck at home, you stay the fuck at home, and I think that's just what happened. I think all of this, personally, this is my personal opinion. All of this curtailing of stuff, of of personal liberties and stuff, would is, was probably unnecessary. Um, but you know, we have to look at that. I'm just saying we need to analyze analyze this data, and um, I I just feel like I just feel like personally, this is a very weird. Uh, virus and very weird disease that just I think some people are just not affected um, for some reason and are very um, not you know uh, maybe have not symptoms at all and some people just get really bad and they die and that's horrible but that's also something we need to understand oh another point is also um, the coroner of Hamburg made himself very unpopular um, by uh going on the record i think like a week or a week and a half or two weeks ago um in the press saying look i've i look at everybody that dies in hamburg pretty much my team like you know especially with covid because they're sending those uh, to our you know morgue and i haven't seen a single person who i would have classified as has died of covid in my professional opinion because what I've seen is people that had serious health issues that were life-threatening that died because they got COVID, because they got the virus. They didn't die of the virus. They died because they had serious health issues and then they got the virus. And this guy is not just some random guy. He is a, like, the thing is, after he said that, it was massively unpopular, and they kind of tried to discredit him, which is kind of hard, because he has been a press darling for, like, the last, I don't know, he's been on TV, he's like the, you know, the coroner, whenever there's, like, a, a murder case, and a murder case in Hamburg, and he talks about, like, there's all these cases where they find, found, like, bodies, and, you know, you have to figure out uh, what they died of, and you killed them, and all that, and he's a, really a star for that, so it was kind of hard for them to discredit credit him now but he was like i see all of that all of the bodies and i have to sign up on all of the death certificates and i'm like any of these people could have died of anything else so i don't know with all that being said if any of your friends close relations uh is sick is in hospital i i sympathize i feel for you um you have all my love and my sympathy. You know, I have people I worry about. I have people I know who are have immune diseases, um, are immune deficient. Uh, my grandma is uh, 98. We do not want her to get this. Um, so I can relate. And with that, I think it's time for some feedback because we have some people chiming in from all over the world. First of all, from South Australia, got Bazaville saying, just a quick update on what is going on here in SA, particularly education focused. I think he's a teacher. Um, I think I remember he wrote in before. Schools remain open and attendance is up after the regular school break. We're down to below 18% before the school break. Initially, parents advised advised most would keep their kids home when school returned and we did a lot of work to get ready for online learning although we did some we did somewhat expect parents 
parents would get sick of their kids, especially if they are working from home and send them to school. That combined with the message attached of our chief public health officer and low infection rate rates, we now have 50 to 60% attendance. Only two days. Our attendance, uh, two days of school, I think he says so far, our attendance is usually only 80%. So it's not like in Germany where it's 100% because you have to send your kids to school by law. Um, we are being told that infection is low between children, including teenagers, which means schools can go back to usual. But as adults, we have to have distance between us. I think it may be more a case infection may not always be picked up in children. They may not even be symptomatic. We also have a contact tracing app, which I talked about. Uh, I just want to clarify the information about children. That was the second mail sent. I uh, just want to clarify the information about children is child-to-child transmission, not child-to-adult, apparently. So they can give it to me, but not to each other. Not sure how virus decides to do that. Yeah, I didn't read uh, the uh, documents he attached. First of all, thanks, by the way. Thanks for the inf- info. Um, extremely helpful. Uh, keep it coming. Um, I didn't read the information uh, he attached that way. Um, so everything I've heard is that and I've read is that it is it is weird that children seem to often not get it, although it seems to be a case that they're often just asymptomatic. They don't have symptoms. They're still spreading it. I think that was a big factor that happened in Italy. Um, don't know. Um, so we don't know. There's a... There's uh, so the theory, the working theory, lots of uh, that some of the scientists that have published papers on this uh, have is that it's a factor of how how good your immune system is. Like your immune system gets better the older you are, and there's apparently some people who die of this because they get a cytokine storm, which is when your immune system sees that something's happening it can't deal with, goes completely berserk, and uh, basically you kill yourself by immune response. Um, and you know, the, if your immune system is better at detecting stuff, that's more likely to happen. So I don't know. Um, I would think it's a case of the children just of, often have mild symptoms or no symptoms at all, but they're still spreading it. I've seen some credible theories that actually the school closures did help somewhat. Um, and you know, they were closed earlier in Germany than the contact uh you know than the curfew so i i could be could be that that had some effect um although it's kind of hard to read from the data but uh better wills thanks for the info i'm i'm very humbled that i get messages from all over the world i think that's great uh speaking of all over the world butterbeans reports in from tennessee uh, just finished listening to episode 15 on contact tracing. Another great one. I wanted to send you a copy of an article from the Financial Times today that affirms much of what you said. See attached. No surprise, but you clearly done your research. Well, I try. <laughs> this is all I'm doing. I'm, you know, people, please, if you don't agree with me, do so. Send me email. Uh, private citizen or press. All I'm doing is I'm finding information and I'm sharing what I find and I give you all the links so you can look it up yourself if you want to. And, you know, if I miss something, please tell me. If you actually know statistics and eh, the problems that source is German, I'm really, you know, I'm sorry. I can't do anything about that. Maybe with DeepL, uh, you know, DeepL.com, you can, is that DeepL.com? Um, you can translate that, although it's so laden with jargon. And Yeah, DeepL.com is a great translator, by the way. Um, I don't know. But, yeah, I, I, I try to give my best. Um, a couple of paragraphs stuck out that 
I thought you'd find interesting regarding the Apple Google big tech approach versus the UK's NHS driven app quote the UK has been wary of tech giants of the tech giants approach favoring a centralized database whereas privacy centric Germany has come out in support of it so that was obviously written after the weekend and uh, Butterbean says who represents Germany here quote Germany uh, and has come out in support of the Apple Google approach May have mentioned it on the episode, but I don't remember them if you did. No, I didn't, because back in the day, back when I did that episode, that wasn't a decision, but it was our health minister, Jens Spahn, and the uh, Chancellor Kantlams minister, whatever that. Um, so the guy who runs Merkel's office, basically. So they came out and said that. Um, so that's the official government uh, position. Also, something I hadn't thought about, the emergence of a, quote, health passport as a result of contact tracing. Quote, some privacy activists also fear that the tech company's re reassurances that the apps will remain voluntary will be hard to enforce in practice. Contact tracing apps evolve into, quote, passports that are demanded to enter supermarkets or other public places. And yes, definitely, I think I've talked about this on the site, uh, something that happened in China and that's, you know, in Germany, uh, historically, we had something like this back in the in the early, almost like the Middle Ages. Uh, it's called the Seuchenpass in German. A, I think, no, this is like 19th century kind of stuff. Um, a, uh, a plague passport. Where basically if you had antibodies or something, you, you're, you're free to... You know, if you, I think they're certified that you had the disease because then you were immune, you could go out. Now, Jens Spahn, aforementioned health minister who I don't like, uh, today said they want to kind of do that. And I believe that would be absolutely unconstitutional. Uh, you can't, I mean, you can, there's an argument to be done that you can curtail lots of uh, private, you know, lots of civil liberties if you do it to everybody. But if you do it to just certain groups of the population, that is discrimination. And a lot of articles, you know, we have from the uh, Nazi, t you know, to prevent stuff happening like with the Nazis. Um so that you basically get a yellow star that says you're contagious, um, except now it's digital and in an app. Um, yeah, that that I I hope people would burn down his fucking office if he if he actually tried to implement that. Anyway, Butterbean says, "Keep potting, brother. Your friend in Tennessee, where we flatten the curve, flatten the curve enough to allow restaurants to partly open for sit-down service this week." Fadi Mansour, who I think is in Czech Republic, if I remember correctly, uh, had some feedback on episode 15. Totally share your surprise that security now that the security now treatment is only showing the positive side with zero hints at the several potential risks. I can see how Steve Gibson could be thrilled by the quote elegance of the proposed solution from a crypto theory point of view, but the devil will always be in the details. Implementation it's always is. It always is. And as you mentioned, this proposal only details how these identifiers will be generated and shared, but no other details about what other data would or could be associated with it. Yeah, and I think that's a generally um, that's the problem Steve sometimes have, has. If I remember previous years of uh, me listening to security now. But, you know, um, thanks for the feedback, Fadi. Always nice to hear from you. And Bennett uh, commented on a... Uh, kind of unrelated blog post of mine but he sent me an email in response to that um, where I wrote about social media um, and 
as part of that, he mentioned that he really liked the interview with uh, Jürgen Goethe, Tante, which nice to hear that other people liked this as much as I did. He also added, I took a break from your podcast because I wanted to take a break from Corona immersion, but your coverage is well done as always. And as I said, I completely understand. Completely. Um, you know, let's, let's make a deal here. Uh, I can continue to do these episodes if I find they're important. And you... I am not mad if you don't listen to them. <laughs> Why would I be? Um, yeah. So if you also want to write to me, um, privatecitizen.press. And now I have to wrap this up because I really want to get this show out on Wednesday because I promised so. And I have about a half hour left to edit and release this. So if you want to support me, just very quickly, you can toss a coin to your podcaster. Um you can become a patron of mine on uh, Patreon to support us. This is a show under the value for value model, which means um, if you derive some value from it, you can give a value back. And I appreciate that. It is up to you to decide how much value that is. If you don't want to do Patreon, there is um, PayPal. You can send money to producers at Fab Industries via PayPal um, because you are the producers either with info that you sent me, with background information, uh, with feedback, uh, with criticism, or by supporting the show uh, financially. And uh, yeah, uh, with that is only one thing left. I uh, like to credit everybody who was involved and in the making of this show, uh, aside from me, that's uh, Raul Kebazali, who wrote and recorded uh, Acoustic Roots, with this, which is the theme song. Um, then we do not have any advertising and sponsors on this show. Um, you know, not people give us money. We have something like a sponsor. I am very thankful to ByteMark at ByteMark.co.uk, which is a UK hosting company. And they simply provide me uh, with the server I uh, distribute my podcast from and have done so long before the show started uh, back in Linux Outlaws days and I appreciate that, uh, continue to appreciate that and I thank them for that um, so I give them a shout out on here um, and above all I'd like to thank the people who um, you know sent me some money under the, under the value for value model uh, I, either on um, Patreon or PayPal and those are um, Niall Donegan Michael Mullen Jensen, Jonathan M. Heavy, Georges Walther, Dave, Kai Sears, Eric G. Potter Test, Rashid Alimani, Butterbeans, Mark Holland, Steve Holes, Shelby Kruver, Fadi Mansour, Matt Jalliman, Joe Poser, Vlad IKN, Dave Amrish, 1I11G, Vitauta Sadowskis, Ricky M, Drive Zero, Dirk TD, David Potter, Jackie Plage, Jonathan Edwards, and Barry Williams, who wrote in from South Australia. Thanks to all of you. I appreciate it a lot. And with that, um, thank you for listening to this very long episode, as I kind of had predicted it would be. Um, can always tell by the show notes I've prepared. Speaking of the show notes, everything on privatecitizen.press, please consider to sending me feedback about this show. Um, and yeah, thanks for listening. And I'll see you soon with another episode of The Private Citizen. Until then, I'll meet you further on up the road. <laughs> <laughs>